All right. We are January 8th at 10 a.m. Eastern. Ruth and Nick recording lesson 1.5. Three, two, one. Hi, beautiful foot nerds. Welcome back. It's Ruth and Nick here again. Hope you're not tired of seeing us yet. <laughs> the lesson today is 1.5 and it's financial literacy. So we want to welcome you to that lesson and we want to thank you for making the commitment to your health because taking care of you spreads into the world around you and is powerfully contagious. So um, today's lesson, we're covering financial literacy and its effect on health. And that might seem like um, a, a weird direction to go. So what we'd like you to do is start, we're gonna start with some questions today. We're gonna do things a little bit different in this lesson. And we want to, um, I want you to pause the lesson um, but I'm going to give you some questions that I'd like you to answer in your log. So I'm going to say the questions. You can write them down. So the questions to start with are, um, we'd like you to list the um, function of money. List the functions of money. That's number one. Number two is we'd like you to list the properties of money. Um, so again, list the properties of money and it's okay if that doesn't make any sense to you or if it makes perfect sense, all is good. Just write it down. Number so to three, clarify functions yeah. of money. What, what do we use money for, right? The function, yeah, like what, what is the money? utility of money? And then the properties is what are the elements that go into making a good, uh, mm -hmm. a, a good or bad form of money? So, I mean, these are things that you might not have heard of before, and we're going to cover them, uh, or mm -hmm. we'll give resources in the lesson. But as it's before we even get started, just to sort of assess your own knowledge, um, yeah, write down your current understanding of like what is the what are the functions, the utility functions of money? Why do we use it? Different reasons we might mm -hmm. use it, and then what are the properties that go into making something a good or bad form of money? And then the third question, and I think this is an important one too, um, is what is your relationship to money? So um, how do you, like, how does money function in your own life? Like, uh, and I, I even want to like, kind of unpack that just a little bit more. Like, does money have a positive effect in your life? Um, do you, do you, cause, cause money is an emotion, has an emotional charge, even if it's not really, even if it's just a neutral thing. So is it neutral in your life? Does, are you, is it, is it working? Is money working for you? Um, in a good way, in a bad way. So what is your relationship to money? How, how do you use money? And how did you learn about money? Like, what was your education about? Not like economics in school necessarily, but how did you personally learn about using money in your life as you were growing up? So pause the lesson now and um, answer those questions. And then we're going to dig in. Right, Nikki Pop? You got it. I think those are important questions to, to sit with, right. And even like, what are your, what's your feelings towards money? What emotions does money bring up? Is it a stressor in your life? Is it, um, something that has a big bearing in the decisions you make in your life? So I think just like sitting with that and really taking down some notes about where you are right now, um, uh, so that you can look back and see how your perspective is changed if it does change over time. And, you know, I think some people at first glance might say like, why, why would I learn about money? Like I use money. It works. I use it every day. It's just a thing. But I think if you really go deep into the rabbit hole of what is money, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, 
it's kind of this language where if you don't understand it, you might be able to be easily fooled into using something that is not to your benefit. So I think the importance of understanding money is like we interact with money every day. It's part of all of our lives for our entire lives. Um, and so understanding it a little bit deeper than just something you use every day, like how it actually works, how, how it came to be all that kind of stuff, I think is really, um, important. And, um, as we'll talk about today, you know, it relates pretty big, uh, with into health. It's a, it has a big bearing on, on health. Um, so we'll chat about that. Okay. So you paused, you're answering. Okay. So now we're back and we are going to jump into the lesson and want to start by giving context, asking Nick to give context to why this lesson, why we added financial literacy as a sixth pillar, which is new to the Footnote program this year. Um, and where and what does what does um, our understanding of money have to do with our bodily health? Yeah. So to give a little bit of context, uh, sort of for the past five years of my life, I've had two parallel interests that have been primary. So the first one was health, um, you know, understanding what does health mean to me? Uh, how can I serve others in order to help them reclaim responsibility for their health? Um, and then the other parallel interest was Bitcoin. And even before then it was, uh, understanding money. My grandfather, um, was big into investing. So he taught me pretty early. I started working at 15. So I had all this money that I was literally just wasting. And he's like, well, why don't you start saving your money or putting or investing your money? So he taught me a lot about money and how money worked. And so I've always been kind of fascinated with the mechanics of what is money? How is it created? How does it work? And then Bitcoin was sort of like a technological extension of that curiosity where it's like, okay, there's a new form of money. Is this, is this, um, something weird and silly that I don't need to understand, or is this worth uh, looking into? And so at the start of this year, those two sort of parallel interests, which were totally separate, basically like one was health, one was Bitcoin. I didn't really see a huge connection. They sort of converged when I came to the realization that our current money system um, run by governments and central banks called fiat money is, I started to see it as a really big obstacle to health and actually the foundational obstacle or the foundational problem to a lot of issues that we see in, in society today that are sort of all coming to a head at once. Uh, you know, whether it's the government problem, uh, the education problem, the climate problem, the health problem, these are all problems that are sort of layered on top of money. And so I started to realize like, if money is, if money continues to work against us, um, it's going to be really hard to solve the other problems that are essentially symptoms of the money problem. And I started to view it, um, sort of like that. And I, I hope to sort of give my reasoning as to why uh, I see them being so interlinked and uh, interdependent on each other. Um, I think one important point to start with before we get into it is um, Bitcoin is very different than crypto. I think everyone's probably heard the word crypto and maybe even the word Bitcoin. But I think the mental model of looking at Bitcoin as its own entity and then crypto which is basically everything else in the space as fundamentally different, totally different things is very important. That's a very important distinction to make. Um, you know, Bitcoin being the sort of open decentralized global network that supports engineered money that anyone on earth can use without permission. And then crypto being basically the wild world of fintech startups, financial tech startups. Um, the majority of those crypto tokens are, are kind of worthless. Um, some projects are interesting, but you have to know a lot and be on the cutting edge of the crypto front in order to really understand that. So I don't do anything with crypto. I only have researched Bitcoin since 2015. Um, 
And, you know, to me, Bitcoin solves a major problem that we all face, which is the problem of how do we store our wealth in a form of money that preserves our energy and can't be corrupted? That's like a big problem that we all face. So let's start by Nikki, defining financial literacy, because I think that's a... Nikki Pop, just for the, just, just for the, a little bit of background, like I come from a very different background. So mm. just financially, just, just to let our nerds know, like my family is an, Im is an immigrant Mexican family. So I grew up like without any money, depending on like government um, assistance. So my background from, from money and understanding money and how money works in my life is very different than yours, which is I think an important, um, you know, an important point to make is that we come from so many different levels of like, I didn't, I didn't, I used food stamps to buy groceries when I was a kid. Mm. So those are like, those are important. And even just now, like understanding, like never even having a savings account until I was like 20 or something, you know, like nobody ever taught me about money at all. So there's like a whole spectrum of, of um, backgrounds in like how we handled money. And like, even when you're talking right now, I'm like struggling to keep up, like, what is he, what, what are those words, you know? So I just want to be reassuring that it takes time to learn and understand. Yeah. And you know, a good practice that I started to do a while ago is every time I hear a word that I don't understand, I look it up right away. I, mm -hmm. I just like, because if I look it up after the fact, out of context, it, it holds a lot less meaning. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also, if you're looking up these words, and it just leads you to a, a description that you don't understand any better, then maybe it's just levels beyond where you're at right now. And you got to start yeah. at a lower level. Yeah, tiny um, habits, Nick. Yeah, you got it. Start small go slow, be consistent. Um, same things apply when you're learning about anything, right? Whether it's health or money or uh, anything for the most part, it's like, just be consistent, start slow. And um, yeah, and it becomes clear as time goes on. So let's talk about financial literacy and what that means. Because, you know, to me, financial literacy is the ability to understand not just how to manage your money, but actually to understand how money works, how the money system that you use most frequently actually works. Um, you know, money is this tool that humans created to facilitate trade at scale, right? So in order for me to trade something with you and move beyond the barter system, like if I make something that you want and you make something that I want, we can do a barter trade. But if I make something that you don't need right now uh, and you have something I want, we need some sort of token to be able to exchange on common ground. It's like a common language that we can speak of how to transmit value to one another. And so money was a tool that humans created to be able to coordinate at larger scales than like a, just a village of like 150 people. Um, and over time, there's been a lot of forms of money that have existed. But for the past 50 years in particular, we've sort of used this system of money um, that wasn't very sound in terms of the math behind it and is currently starting to fail us. Um, and we're seeing different countries fail at different rates, right? We see like Venezuela, we see Turkey, which is Turkey is a G20 country. Like this is not a little mm -hmm. speck on the map. It's like a pretty big country and their currency is essentially collapsing. And so this whole notion that we're using a form of currency for the past 50 years, that is quite flawed in terms of how it's done, benefits few and um, actually harms many. Uh, and most people don't realize it. And that's a really uncomfortable realization to come to, right? It's way more convenient to just say, I use money. It's fine. I don't need to put any energy into learning about it, but that can sometimes lead you down a path where um, it's negatively affecting you without you even realizing it. And a lot of times the, the 
the issues that come about because of the money we use often get blamed or deflected to other things, to more superficial things. Um, and so, you know, I went down this rabbit hole a while ago and I hope to not tell anyone what to think, um, but only to hopefully stimulate a bit of curiosity so people can form their own perspectives and their own understanding and their own judgments about money by doing a little bit of deeper understanding. And so, um, you know, framing financial literacy as the keystone pillar and, I, you know, Keystone is this term taken from masonry, which is the apex. If you're building an arch out of stones, the keystone is the apex stone. Without that, nothing holds together. With that, everything holds strong. And so from my perspective, financial literacy is sort of the gatekeeper pillar of health. What I mean by that is that if you don't um, have a certain level of financial literacy and understanding about how money works, it's very hard to engage optimally with all the other pillars. You might know everything about all the other pillars, but if you don't understand the mechanics of money and how money is used to store your time, it's very hard to find the time to focus on those pillars. And so I'm going to do my best today at explaining the rationale of how I came to the conclusion that financial literacy is super important for health um, and why starting to understand how better forms of money affect your health long-term um, can be a really valuable use of your time. Um, anything to add there before we get into what is money? Mm -mm. No? All right. So uh, let's talk about what is money. And I won't dwell on this too much, but I will. I have included um, a, a link to a podcast that myself and Eddie Ferry, who's another foot nerd from Los Angeles, did. We've been recording Bitcoin education podcasts. So I'll refer to that because I think that's a really good resource. It's an hour long conversation about it, basically answering the question, what is money? Right. We go through the functions of money, the principles of money, the properties of what makes a money uh, what makes a good objectively good or bad as money, not because anyone said so, but because like these are from first principles, what makes money good or bad These are the qualities. Um, but like I said before, money is a tool that exists so that we can trade with one another at scale. Um, and, you know, if you understand money from first principles, you can then make your own judgment as to whether something is good money or bad money without having to listen to anyone else. And that's sort of the goal, right? Is to help people critically appraise um, the notion of money and the current monetary system, and to really see firsthand through their own understanding if it's benefiting them or um, if it's taking away value from them. And like I said, these are often things that we don't really think about. Uh, we're certainly not taught how money works in school, which I think is a big problem because if money is this base language that underlies all of our interactions in society, right? If, if language um, if words are the way we communicate information, money is the language that we use to communicate value and value is how we interact with other people in our communities. And so, you know, like people use money every day. Um, and so understanding how that money came to be can be more important than I think what most people realize. And, uh, and it's a big, there's a big gap, right? Like there's a, it's tough to admit that you don't understand how something works that you've been using every day for your whole life. Um, but, and like uh, you said, go ahead. I was just going to ask a question. Maybe you're going to address this, but like, was there like an indicator, an obvious indicator that money isn't working in your life that like, you know, cause we are very good at fooling ourselves. Right. But are there any obvious indicators that someone could see that money might not be working well for them? Yeah. I've, I've always kind of felt that like the way we do money isn't great. I live in Canada, so I can only speak from a Canadian context, but I also felt that like, it's the best we know how to do. So it might not be perfect, but it's the mm -hmm. best imperfect solution that we have. 
And then at the start of this year, I sort of got pinched really hard um, because the rate of money creation, and I'll, I'll talk about what money creation even means in a, in, in a couple of minutes, accelerated drastically. And so I actually saw it as a more urgent situation from my parents' point of view, right? They've worked their whole lives. They're retired. They have this money they've accumulated, and that money has to last them for the rest of their lives until they die. And what I saw was this, this phenomenon where our, our central bank in Canada created 20% more money in the course of 12 months, which means that every dollar my parents held became 20% less valuable. And they're not accounting for that in their planning for the rest of their life of how they're going to use this money. And so I kind of saw like, okay, we've, we're at the tail end of this failing of money, basically, where we need a new kind of system to kind of take over uh, and it's becoming much more obvious. And so that to me made things much more urgent um, and made me want to really understand it much more deeply. And it was that pinch that made me start to dive way deeper into money than I ever have before and realize that if we're all having our time stolen because money's being created arbitrarily by, by central banks, and I'll kind of try and connect why banks creating money out of nowhere is stealing your time. Um, then it's no wonder people don't have time to take care of themselves. Right. And that was like the aha light bulb moment for me is like, every time I speak to someone and they, they have an honest intention to take care of themselves or to improve their health, I say, well, what stops you from actually doing? Like, it seems like, you know, what you need to do, what's stopping you and just say, I don't have time. Like I don't, I, I have to work to pay my rent and serve my kids food. I have all of these responsibilities that are non-negotiable that I can't not do. Um, and I just don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to make food at home because there's not enough time in a day. Like this is a really common theme. I started detecting people when I started to kind of ask questions and it's like, well, we all have 24 hours, you know, like 50 years ago, one person in a family could work a normal job. They were, they started at nine, they ended at five. They didn't work at home. Um, and it was enough to sort of like own a house, pay a mortgage, have a car, like do all the things. And we had way more time to spend on hobbies, to spend with family. And it seems like that time has just been stolen from us, which is very counterintuitive to the fact that we live in a technologically driven society. Technology is deflationary, which means that as time goes on, we get more for less money, which is the total opposite of inflation, which means getting less, uh, less stuff for more money. So they're fundamentally opposite. It's like we live in a society where we should be getting more for less. It should be and getting yet easier. We find ourselves getting less for more. It's weird. Yeah, like it. Sh it seems like the, the all the progress should be making our lives easier, and it's making right. the, it's making us more crunched and pinched and yeah. All the and health is often mm -hmm. the first thing that gets thrown aside because it's Most, um, yeah always you know, the first thing it seems like yeah it's like that notion where it's not a problem until it's a problem right until I have yeah. a catastrophe I really don't have time to take care of myself. This is and, and it's the. Yeah. And it's the cast well, 22 is that by not taking care of yourself, you get to a catastrophe. So. And just to point out like something that probably is obvious is that the people who are working as doctors and nurses and physical therapists and the people who are help, trying to, you know, help people are the people who get, who are, seem like they're the sickest and are working the longest hours. I live in a condo complex where everybody around me is a doctor, a nurse, a physical therapist, or somebody in the sick care system. Mm. And they are, they, I've never seen anybody, I've never seen longer hours worked in such a low quality of life. But anyway, that was just a little aside. It's, it's yeah. hard to imagine. 
that's an important point to make because mm -hmm. I mean, people can sort of see it firsthand. Everyone feels the squeeze, right? I play this mm -hmm. um, flag football game every year with guys I went to high school with. It's called the Turkey Bowl. It's on Thanksgiving weekend. And I heard so many people this year just basically saying like, where I don't have any time anymore, right? Like we're talking about, oh, we should do this twice a year. And one of the guys was like, I don't have time. I, I hardly even have time to take the day, this day from my family, because I don't know where all the time's going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't really speak up, but what I was thinking the whole time was like, yeah, our time, 20% of our time got stolen in the past Which year. Is a, that's such a demoralizing thing because you hear it all the time. People do not have time for each other at all. And they apologize for taking your time. You know, like right. I can't tell you how much time I spend listening to people apologizing for taking up my time. It's like, oh my gosh, we're like, what are it's, it's, it's not even, it's, it's not even human. It's not, it's not, it's not sane. Yeah. It's, it doesn't align with how humans are supposed to mm -hmm. function optimally. Yeah. Um, and so if money is the way we tokenize our time, right. Mm -hmm. You give me value. I compensate you for the value you gave me by giving you a token, which is essentially a way to store the time you gave to me and the value you gave to me so that you can spend it on something else in future. So if money is how we tokenize our time, and if health requires time, right? Let's double click on that for a sec. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the fundamental assumption that improving your health requires time, time to understand what health means, time to explore and experiment, uh, and then time to be able to make productive changes in your, in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Like this, is, this consumes time and energy. And so if the tokens that we used to capture our time and save our time are being um, diluted, right? And I'll talk about that next. Um, then there's very little time left for health and health gets pushed aside. And, you know, this, this common obstacle, this elephant in the room that no one has time to take care of themselves. And so they don't until they're forced to take care of themselves because there's a significant problem that develops is sort of this never ending Ferris wheel that we're all stuck on, um, that is costing us our health and, and actually creating like this significant invisible tax on all of us. You know, we pay our income tax, we pay our uh, property tax, but what people don't realize is that the rate at which money is created each year by central banks is another tax. And that tax rate just got blasted through the roof this mm -hmm. year. And it doesn't, you know, if you, if you go really deep and I don't think anyone needs to go this deep in understanding money, but if you understand the mechanics of how how money works, how we have a debt-based economy and what the, how much debt we have versus how much GDP we're making. It's, you only need about grade 11 math to really see that mathematically, this thing cannot stop. We will not be able to stop creating more money, right? Like COVID was a, a, a kind of a scapegoat to say, oh, COVID happened. So we need to print all this money. It's like, actually, you have to do that regardless of COVID because math says that in order for you to continue uh, without having this debt-based system kind of implode, you have to keep, um, it's like a drug addict, right? Like a drug addict, you, you take a certain amount of drugs, you develop a tolerance to it. Next time you have to take more drugs and you have to take more and more to get just the same effect. And we've kind of developed this economic machine that only started 50 years ago. This isn't like, this hasn't lasted forever for 50 years. We've been in this weird fiat experiment where we've completely disconnected from any, um, thing of real value that backs our currency, right? Like gold used to be this thing that stood behind our currency to say that every dollar was exchangeable for a certain amount of gold. And so it, it, it held us accountable to only creating enough money based on the amount of gold we have. And 50 years ago in 1971, we, we untethered from gold 
And from then on, it's kind of been this wild experiment that's never been done before um, and is mathematically going to end in a bad place. And so we're kind of seeing that more and more now as things accelerate. Um, but health requires time. Money is how we store our time. If governments are manipulating the money, they are essentially diluting the time that we've stored. And effectively, that steals our time so that we have less time available for health. And that's kind of the fundamental thesis of how I connect uh, flawed fiat money to um, not having enough time to take care of ourselves. Um, let's just talk quick about fiat debasement and what that means. So debasement means to reduce the value of something. Um, and every time I use the word fiat, it really just means government controlled money. Um, so when banks create more money, each dollar, if every dollar a bank creates, every dollar you hold becomes less valuable, right? If there's more money in the system, um, then the money that exists in the system becomes less valuable because it's a smaller percentage of the whole. And so, you know, in Canada, typically on average, about 7% more money is created each year, uh, which isn't like terrible, right? That's kind of why prices go up. People often put their money in investments or in something like real estate, which tends to outpace that 7%, right? If you hold your money in cash in the bank, you're losing 7% a year on average in Canada. If you put it into assets, which not everyone can afford to buy. So then you can preserve that money because assets typically will outpace the speed at which we create money. So if your house makes 10% per year, but the government's creating 7% more money, then you're, you're kind of moving ahead by 3%. But if you don't own a house and if you didn't get a 7% raise, you're falling behind. And what I mean by falling behind is you're having to work more um, for less. And so you've kind of, instead of making progress, you've kind of like slowed down. You've, you've fallen behind where, um, where our country is moving sort of thing. Um, and then from Jan 20 to 21, they created 18 and percent more money. So unless you got an 18 and percent raise, or you have a bunch of money in assets, you fell behind 18 and percent. And that's extremely unfair because only the rich people who can afford all these assets and real estate and investments and bonds and whatever can really preserve their wealth. Whereas the people who don't have access to those assets and are simply wage earners that are trying to make enough money to pay for a roof over their head and food and basic needs, um, they fell behind unless they got an 18.5% raise. And I can tell you right now, I don't know anyone who got an 18.5% raise in the past 12 months. Um, my, my spouse got a 10% pay cut. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's, really, it's really sad that we're never taught. I, I don't think it's a mistake that we're And his retirement was taken away. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's really, it's, uh, it can be almost demoralizing, but hopefully I can turn this around because I want to talk about Bitcoin and how <laughs> yeah, Bitcoin Turn it around, Nikki Pop. Like this yeah, is, this, no, this podcast is dark as shit so far. <laughs> no, no, um, no, it's good. No, it's so important though because we don't talk curious. about it. Yeah, yeah, we don't talk about it. Yeah, I agree. And so fiat being debased, government money becomes worth less over time, which means everything else gets, everything around us gets more expensive, not because they're worth more, but because the unit we're using to purchase them with is becoming worth less. So let's go over to Bitcoin. And the notion that, uh, you know, the fundamental assumption you need to make to see Bitcoin as a solution to the, to the, to the issue with health is that Bitcoin protects your time. And so hopefully I can explain this um, pretty concisely. And, and like I said, this, I just want to share little simple nuggets that I've learned over time. My hope is that people are curious enough to investigate it themselves so that they don't have to believe me. They can kind of see for themselves. So right now I view the case for Bitcoin as being a savings technology. This is not a, you know, the three functions of money. When you look into it, we have a unit of account, medium of exchange, 
and store of value. Medium of exchange is like the money you use to exchange value with people every day, like paying for a coffee or paying for groceries. Um, store of value is almost like um, something you put your money in so that it preserves your purchasing power, right? Like I earned this money by giving my energy and time. I want to preserve that time so that I can um, keep it to spend in future, right? I, we, none of us really want money. What we really want is what money can buy us in future, right? We're kind of just like Muffins. saving for our future selves. Hey, Muffins. Muffins. <laughs> if you like muffins, then maybe you want to save money so you can buy more muffins in future. Um, so right now, Bitcoin is a store of value. It's not something you use for everyday purchases unless you live in somewhere like El Salvador. But for most people, for myself, for my family, it's like, okay, if I put my cash, right? Savings is like, I think it's good for us to save money. And what saving means is like, spending a little bit less than what we earn. So if you earn $1,000 and you spend 900, you have an extra $100 to be able to save and put somewhere for future use. And I think that's a, a good thing for us to get in the habit of doing. Um, and so the, the problem to solve then is like, okay, if I'm saving this money, where do I store that money so that it doesn't degrade in value over time so that it doesn't decrease in purchasing power. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin ends up solving this problem because it is a form of engineered digital money. Um, and, and I think we all know that the world is getting digital around us, right? Like I used to use these Kodak or Polaroid cameras. Now I use my phone. So that went from analog to digital. You know, we used to go to Blockbuster and go and rent videos in oh, like analog days. form, right? And pay late fees and all the, all the stuff, right? <laughs> um, now, you, now it's digitized. It's just Netflix. Right. And you can rinse and repeat that with so many things, music. We used to buy CDs. Now it's just all on our phone. So everything is being digitized. Um, and even though money has been digital for quite a while, right? Like most people actually don't use cash. They use debit cards, which is just, um, you know, money that we hold having banks is not actually physical money held there. It's literally just an entry in a digital ledger, but money has always been under the control of central banks and governments. And Bitcoin is the first form of money that is not controlled by anyone that is engineered to be scarce. And when you look into the properties of money, scarcity is very important, right? If something is not scarce, it's, it actually doesn't serve as a good form of money. Um, and the, one of the coolest things about Bitcoin is that anyone can use it. It's permissionless. So anyone with a connection to the internet and some sort of device like a phone can begin using Bitcoin without asking permission, without signing up for an account, without giving over their address or their private information to be, um, to be tracked. It's permissionless. And this is why it's a very powerful innovation. So uh, essentially they replaced humans at a central bank making decisions for the rest of us with a protocol, with a piece of code that says, this is how the money, this is how money is best done based on everything we've learned through history. This is how it's going to work. We'll show you transparently what these rules are. You have to give value to society in order to earn Bitcoin. You can't just get it from nowhere from a bank that creates it out of nowhere. And so what this does is it helps people it gives people a vehicle to, to hold and preserve their purchasing power over time so that the money they earn today can be preserved such that later on in future, maybe they don't have to earn as much money because the money they've already earned is holding its purchasing power. And so, you know, step one is understanding money and maybe begin to learn, begin to understand Bitcoin as a, uh, as basically our, our, a new system of money. Um, and then once Bitcoin starts to preserve your purchasing power, the need to constantly earn more money reduces and you have more time available to be able to spend on your health. And so I don't know how good of a job I did to connect the notion that 
Money is how we store our time. And, you know, this might not be a very exciting topic to cover, but I really think it's one of the most foundational topics because yeah. until we understand how money affects our time, which affects our health, it's really hard to make meaningful progress or have time available to actually spend on health. Yeah. Um, and health takes time. Health is literally just proof of work that you've spent time and energy working on improving your well-being. Um, yeah, that's all I had to say about that. Dang, dude. <laughs> <laughs> this is a hard one to simplify. Like it's really, um, no, but you did a, you did a great job. And the thing is, is that there's going to be plenty of layer two conversations about this. So we have some really good be, between the, the podcasts that you created in school of coin with Eddie, which breaks things down on, on a more fundamental and like a deeper level for somebody who's just beginning to understand this, like me. Um, and then, and then there's like, there's just going to be a lot of resources. And so are we, are we coming to the end Nikki pop? Because I just wanted to, yep, um, that's it. I think we okay. can list a couple experiments and then uh, yeah. close it out. And, um, you know, if, if, if my mom can understand Bitcoin, anyone can understand Bitcoin. Yeah. And I think once you get over the hurdle of discomfort of acknowledging that you don't understand, uh, how money works, because unless you purposely and intentionally learned about it, you wouldn't have been taught it. Um, and I think we pretty much all just inherit our parents' perspective of money as we mm -hmm. grow up. So whatever perspective they hold about money, uh, we're simply going to absorb because they're the people who teach us about money. Um, but we're going through a big transition shift right now where the, the previous 50 years of money um, is no longer serving humanity very well. And we're transitioning to a new system, which is totally opposite. That's why it's so intimidating to understand. And I think obstacle number one is that people think Bitcoin and crypto are the same thing. And they're like, well, I don't need to know about that because that's, that seems like nonsense. It's risky. People are losing money. But step one is understand that Bitcoin is separate than crypto. Step two is like, understand money before you even do anything to understand Bitcoin, understand money, because without a foundational understanding of money, you have no way of evaluating Bitcoin and what it is. So understand money, start to research Bitcoin, have a bunch of conversations and you should be skeptical. You should have a bunch of questions. And, you know, you mentioned something before we started recording, which is like, this will be a good exercise in applying critical thinking to something that is really convenient to think that you understand, but that you might not fully understand. And that might be costing you in terms of um, your time or causing you stress. So, mm -hmm. and even if you do have, uh, even if you do have a deep understanding, it doesn't hurt to, I mean, you have to try to like critically think through this in the way that like financial health is also part of like our overall health um, as like, you know, just the basic needs in life in order to live a decent quality of life. So how are the powers at play um, affecting, you know, your ability to just be a human in the world? Um, and you and Eddie actually had something um, that you talked about something in one of your podcasts called informed, rational, unbiased skepticism. And I really just think that that I'd, I'd like to just end this lesson um, by saying that even if this is like so far fetched, you know, that, that, that is so far out of your realm of possibility of understanding as a, as a foot nerd, what we have committed to like in our manifesto is to be an open mind, critical thinker. And you, I love that you said um, you, you gave the idea of informed being the process um, processing knowledge of a particular subject, rational being following a process of 
logical reasoning, and then unbiased being impartial and trying not to have a, a trying not to prejudge something that you might not fully or deeply understand and then a healthy skepticism and this was my favorite thing that you said is that an attitude of questioning rather than blind belief with the intent of understanding to prove to yourself something that um, is true or untrue and how it works in your world i mean this is the scientific method this is this is this is applying science to what we have agreed to do in the foot nerd program. And um, it's the most important thing to unpack the blind spots. So if nothing else, this is an exercise in doing that or digging deep and further becoming um, a person who is able to participate in the world with a deep understanding of where we're going financially in, in the world of money. And, yeah. yeah. And even to give a concrete use case for where this will play a role in the future of TFC is like, okay, we're, this is the foot nerd program. It helps people take radical responsibility for their health. The next phase, if people choose to go the road of helping others with their health is to become a health guide. The vision for what we want to do with the health guide certification and, and uh, creating sort of like an online peer to peer network where, okay, I'm a health guide. Someone from the TFC network who hasn't done the foot nerd program and is not a health guide needs help with their health. How do we connect those two people? and also enable a value transfer without needing to be an intermediary, right? Like I don't want someone who's receiving help to pay TFC and then TFC to pay the health guide. I want that to be a peer to peer value transfer where the person receiving help and the person giving help have their own independent private value transfer arrangement. And the only global fully inclusive permissionless financial network that's out there is Bitcoin. And so neither of those people need to have bank accounts and even if they, the crazy thing is, even if they did have bank accounts, if they're in different countries, there is a huge amount of friction and obstacles um, to send people money, right? If I want to send someone money in like Finland, it's going to take a while. It's going to cost me a bunch of money. It's probably going to create a bunch of headaches. Um, but I can send Yarno in Finland um, $50 in Bitcoin in one second, basically for free. And so this has never existed. The humanity has never had a tool like this. And we're at the very tip of the spear of this starting, like we're very early with this, which is why it's still um, fairly hard to grasp and also not very broadly known. But I, I really think that this will form the future financial foundation for, for the next world that we find ourselves in. Um, and so, you know, we might be early, but learning, some, learning about technologies early often rewards the people who learn about them because they are, have a chance to get in early. They have a chance to understand these things and the potential earlier than most people. And the reality is, unless you live in a country with a collapsing currency like Venezuela or Turkey, there's no need to learn about Bitcoin, right? Like I have access to financial services that very few people on planet Earth actually have, right? Like few people have a bank account and can buy a stock. Mm -hmm. uh, I can do that. Probably most people listening to this can do that. So we don't really have a need for it, but learning something before it's absolutely necessary and actually realizing that by understanding money, it actually is really important right now because the way we're currently storing our money in fiat is actually costing us quite a bit of our time and energy. Um, anyway, I hope this opens up a doorway for people to like, you know, put 10 days, you know, one hour a day for 10 days into just really getting a crash course in understanding money. And I really look forward to hearing some of the layer two conversations that might um, manifest between nerds uh, within pods and uh, some of the questions that come up. Cause I think it really is a it's like the elephant in the room we never talk about that's mm -hmm. actually becoming much more important to learn to learn about now. Um, so we we talked about some of the questions 
uh, some of the reflection questions before, and maybe at the end of your, you know, on the 10th day of this lesson, maybe go back and revisit some of those questions and see how your answers changed, see how your perspective is, has changed now that you've had a chance to explore more information. So, um, you know, your relationship with money, the functions of money, the properties of money. Um, and then as a couple other experiments towards the end of this lesson period is like, explain your understanding of money to a friend or family member. Because once again, the best way to really understand something is to teach it and, you know, stimulate some conversations within friends and family about money, about the concept of money, about people to get, you know, ask questions about people's understanding of money. Do like your own little survey in your own social group. Um, and then another good experiment is to just start to engage with Bitcoin in some way. So literally you can download our free wallet. Moon wallet is a really good one. M-U-U-N. Uh, I have no affiliation with any Bitcoin companies. Um, that's just the one I use commonly. And then if you buy a small amount of Bitcoin, like 20 bucks and your partner's game to do this as well, send $5 in Bitcoin to your partner, have them send it back to you because it's actually not as intimidating or complex as people might think. Like the, the, um, user interface and the experience has evolved so much in the past five years. I've been learning about this since 2015 and early then it was like, you literally have to know coding and command line prompt to interact with Bitcoin. Now it's a totally different story. My mom has a wallet on her cell phone. And, you know, my mom, my mom's not technologically literate in, in, in the broadest sense, um, but she's starting to understand the importance of it now. So try some of those experiments. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a fruitful learning journey about money. We are here to answer questions. Just reach out on Slack. And um, I hope there's a lot of layer two conversations to listen to. Yeah. Remember that this is proof of work, just listening to this. And we will catch you in the next lesson. Right, Nikki Pop? You got it. Ciao for now, friends. Ciao for now, friends.